welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hit it. Hit it. Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know. We're here. This is Father John Ladd and Father Michael Lawrence, and here we are. Here we are. That's right. We, uh, I like these stylish glasses you've been rocking recently. Hey. Very scholarly. Kind of the round, dark rim. They're kind of nerdy, but I think it's, is it in? I, does it matter for me? I don't think it matters for you, <laughs> but they're, they're, yeah, it looks good. Someone told me uh, it looks like you just stepped out of Hogwarts. There you go. Someone else told me very European. Very European. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to look. I'm writing these days, you know. And I wanted to walk by the glass of a window uh-huh. or a car or the mirror and say, oh, that guy looks sophisticated. He must write books. He looks very European, yes. indeed. Exactly. Good man. So. I don't know if that's... Is that like a thing? Do you get excited when somebody says you're European? I have never heard that before, I don't think. Okay. So, yeah. I don't know. I think of like, I don't know, French cheese or... Yeah, are you drinking, uh, you know, Ricard and playing petanque or something like that mm. in, in the evenings? If that's you have done that, you have done that in the past. I have done that. Yeah, yeah. I do love that. So uh, less sophisticated was my community night at the seminary today, but I, I'm curious your thoughts on uh, two things. Number one, orange chicken. Yes, no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like general chows, um, sesame chicken. I like the sesame if you're gonna do. Something like the orange chicken. Because you are a uh, you're a savory guy, you know. I am a savory guy. Right. Yeah. When our family goes out for Chinese food, we're gonna do. I don't know of the what are there nine nine of us, and then you know all these spouses and everything. You're gonna get about seven orders of sesame chicken. Exactly. Yeah. Right and on. Then I'm just. I don't. It's too much of the same. I walk into the kitchen tonight, and the guys are cooking. Uh, so every Sunday night in the seminary. I've implemented this thing where the guys cook the meal. It's our community night, and uh, Christ the King house came over. So there's like 25 guys. So Ooh. I'm looking at it, and I'm just like, that is a ton of chicken. And I they're would like, guess, yeah. And they're like, Ryan Winch told us that you got to do a uh, pound of chicken per guy. Oh, and no, you like, don't. I was like, that's a lot of chicken. So they're cooking 25 pounds of chicken. <laughs> and I went to Ryan Winch, and I was like, I, I I cook a lot of chicken for the companions, and I've never ever thought a pound per guy. And he goes, That's "A lot of chicken." Those idiots misread my text. I said uh, a breast of chicken oh. per guy. And so how much extra chicken did you have? Tons. Oh man, tons. I can of, imagine. We are a we got a freezer full of orange chicken. Orange so chicken. anybody in the area, come <laughs> on over. We will give you a, a freezer bag of orange chicken. We got a lot, but it was very good. So. Do you eat carrots for your eyesight? I don't, no. Isn't that a thing, like orange? I've heard that, but... Yeah. I don't know if orange chicken has the same effect. <laughs> I don't <laughs> no. know. I, I Make don't you know. brilliant as a pilot or something? So it was uh, orange chicken and then a lot of um, cornhole tonight. Oh, I guess yeah. I guess regionally this game is also known as bags. I don't know where that kind of the line, line of demarcation, bags. Maybe it's a Minnesota thing, but um, do you know that the official Johnson... Ville, whatever brats and burgers they have the official length of cornhole do you know what it is between the two i would guess 50 feet it's 27 feet whoa yeah, yeah which for me a little long. for me was i was like man this is this is long so is that from hole to hole or is that from the start board, of the board? board to board okay yep. so the uh, salina boys were just whipping up tonight on everybody and and is your strategy to go high and try to land it near the hole or to slide i think you got to go high at that length but yeah. i am I'm just bad at yard games. I just have to accept this, and cornhole is one of them. I, I don't know what kind of genetic predisposition is needed for these for the skill. There's a there's a professional cornhole league. Did you know this? It's like, awful. You, you've seen it. That okay. stuff is awful. Yeah, I can't stand it. <laughs> ESPN with like pickleball and yeah. horseshoes. Yeah, and it was on the TV. We respect were the, to the horseshoe people. Ryan House couple. Yeah, exactly. We're gonna get. Get knocked for that, I'm sure. But horseshoes yeah. is like old school. Old school. That's like that's the, it's the OG, the original. Yeah. Yeah, Why the, we're, now we're throwing bean bags. Yeah, it's exactly, soft. exactly. No, but pickleball. You mentioned that. That is like the the rage. I don't know. Is it still the rage or no, is it slowing down? Come on, it's waning. You're a tennis player though, so you're gonna have. I was never in, but I knew the writing was on the wall. Yeah. You know, all these young people getting into old people games. Right. The next one is shuffleboard, man. I'm shuffleboard. pushing for shuffleboard. Yeah. That's, That's a classic. Yep. 
All right, so you got these European glasses on, and you also have some on top of your head. You hey, you know what about? I think is trendy? <laughs> I wanted to know for you. Uh, <laughs> you you into cold plunging? Are you plunging I, these I, days? You know, I love, I do, I have done it a couple times, and I enjoy it. Really? I like it. I, like I had, it. in the last two days, I had two offers to cold plunge with people. You know what I love about cold plungers? They are, you never meet somebody who's kind of into cold plunging. They are yeah. either all yeah, yeah. absolutely 100%. This is the most important thing you could ever do for your body ever. Yeah. Or not interested at all. And so. And they're uh, going to give you the whole like diatribe about shock proteins. And exactly. All that. They'll explain all of the. Exactly. But it's not something you can just invite somebody at a dinner party to do. No. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, you got to do this. Come on. All right, so your options are we could play some uh, cornhole or <laughs> let's just strip down and get in a freezing cold <laughs> barrel of water. My friend Grant Stucker bought one of these huge wine barrels. Oh, and yeah. And that's his cold plunge, and that's... Do you he ice swears it? by it. Oh, yeah, ice is it. He's got it down to whatever perfect temperature, 46 degrees or whatever. I am kind of a wuss. I mean, Viking blood. I was going to say, you got Viking blood I in cannot you. do cold very well. Oh, man. I think it's the low... I have... Um, bad circulation it just and then i just get shivery freezes everything up shivery shivery and it doesn't warm up my body shiver is supposed to warm up your body apparently, apparently. these are supposed to be good things for your body how did you like it i uh did you feel rejuvenated i did like it I, I enjoyed it i could you know i could see myself being like a super cold plunge guy but i yeah i don't I hope that doesn't happen because I think I, Father I Nick Larkin told me that he was going to do it every day for Lent. Oh, well. And he made it for two days, I think. Yeah. It's intense, man. Yeah. I mean, after a bike ride, you know, we would do that. We'd jump in a, I've done that with you. We'd jump in a stream. And actually, a funny memory I told you about this last week, but I was up with the seminarians up uh, near Mount Princeton. There's a hot springs. Very fancy. Um, and it, very expensive, and you, I, I believe this was you leading the charge on this one. But I, this was a lot, a lot of years ago. Um, we, we didn't want to pay forty bucks or whatever to go into the hot springs, and so we kind of went down to the creek uh, below it, and there was this, this little tube running out from below the hot springs. <laughs> and it was just pouring hot water into the river, and we just sat in the river just and in the tepid just water, yeah. <laughs> enjoyed this so that was a bit that was like you know before the cold plunge rage we were sitting in the river with a tiny trickle of this hot, like a sewer pipe hot water it might have been it's yeah. like um a hot waterfall <laughs> exactly that's pretty fun yeah um what about uh jacob machado is the president of the what the world he is the president of the bodies of the students yes he is and he reigns supreme over 75 men so what at does Saint that John take at the, at the seminary? Do you run? Do you debate? You run, elected. Uh, there should be debates. He used to do the, uh, the president used to do the announcements. That's right. Every day. So you're electing, and then under Goebbels' reign, unfortunately, there was a bit of a coup, and it became the daily reader. Not a good moment, you know. Yeah, boring. But he was elected primarily because he's funny and entertaining, and that's what you want. So that used to be the criteria for the president. I don't know what they're looking for now. Oh, Admi really? Administrative excellence, I was going to ask, maybe. yeah, about his platform. Administrative yeah. excellence. Yeah. You know? Everything... Make the, make the seminary great again. Exactly. Now, everything basically, let's be honest, it, it all uh, goes back to, like, middle school. You know, it's like, uh, we'll have soda machines in all the hallways <laughs> and no homework and just vote for me, so... Yeah. yeah, Jake Machado. Okay, back to your hat though. Let's talk about the. Is this part of you the the? Oh, I'm wearing a kippa tonight. You know a kippa? I don't know a kippa. Kippa is uh, it's a Jewish, um, yarmulke is okay. another name for it. Okay. It's um, yeah, it's just a sign of respect for God when you're going into worship, especially. So if you go to synagogue, you should wear your kippa. Okay. Um, sometimes I think that Orthodox Jews wear it all the time. You see people, you know. A, out and about but if i'm into scripture stuff old testament looking at hebrew stuff targamim targamim then casual sunday evening my, throw on my keep on sunday evening show a little I respect like to god stay in the zone did you get that in israel i did yeah that was from jerusalem i've heard a yarmulke i've never heard kippah before though but i don't that... know what the difference is okay you know? pardon my ignorance here that's all right i'm supposed to be the expert i'm wearing the hat yeah but yeah it's just a Ah, it's like a vibe thing. Do you have any vibe things? I have no vibe. You have I a vibe like hat. I, I you wear I those socks. I should. I should get a vibe. I, I. You know. I really. I've never really thought about that before. But 
Socks, Burks, when you're teaching. You're still rocking. Little hype it. game. Little hype game. Yeah, you're still, you know, in the 40s now. We gotta, you gotta up the game. You know. What's your What's your <laughs> experience when you leave the classroom and you either have rocked that lecture, or you just that was you know, l- l- dead fish. What do you call it? Limp fish. Limp fish. Yeah. I, uh, Do you yeah, just walk away? I just walk away. Yeah. I, uh, I have to say sometimes it's hard, you know, teaching cause like, um, it all depends on the class too. You know, who are the guys you're teaching? It's not just, cause like I, I freaking crushed my first Mariology lecture of the year. Yeah. yeah I remember it. you were bragging Fifth about that. Fifth year and the talk about, you know, limp fish or whatever <laughs> you were calling it like bunch of limp biscuits out there like these deacons it, it is 10 o'clock on a friday it's the last class they have it's their last year i get it but i was just like come on boys that was just gold yeah they're but, like high schoolers <laughs> you need to feed them candy at the beginning and so you're smart i know jolly. you give them you incentivize class with give treats you, you bring treats and all kinds of i used to hand out gummies and that was that was great idea you know, that first year, and then I just got lazy with it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'll give you a prize for winning the game, and then I never did. Maybe I need to bring a service animal in. Do you think that would kind of help a little bit? I was, everywhere you go, it's only service animals, but I was at, uh, down the street here at uh, Pablo's today doing a little, a little work, and uh, this guy comes in, and he's just like, can I bring my dog in here? And the guy's like, only service dogs. And he's like, Okay. Well, he's a service dog. And I was like, is it just like, is this arbitrary? Like, at what point is it just like, you know, the service dog? So, anyways. I saw a guy walking through a Walgreens parking lot the other day with a giant parrot on his shoulder. It's a service animal. It was like a blue parrot. And so I rolled down my window while I'm driving by and I say, hey, nice bird. And the guy looks at me and he says, I know. And then I it know. keeps on walking. Oh, classic. I was like, that was bird guys, yeah. man. Let's try that. Let's bring some parrots in. Father Hieronimo is a bird guy. Get creative with our, you know, auxiliary pets. Maybe that'll get the students <laughs> excited. So It's a comfort, whatever. Yeah. Can you do that in the classroom? Do you Can set I, the rules? I think I could probably pull it off. The dean would probably not approve, but okay. we could test that, test the waters a little bit. I was up at uh, Sacred Heart of Mary yesterday for a um, uh, marriage retreat with the Lord's guys, Father Brian Larkin and Father Sean Conroy. And uh great day, beautiful retreat. Uh, Did it rain? It's been raining. It here. was not raining yesterday, but it has been raining today. It was nice yesterday. It was nice. warm. Um, and I'm sitting in the chapel, getting a little prayer in, uh, preparing my talk, the bourbon talk. Of course, Larkin drops Famous. that on me the day before. This is like the, the all the controversial things about marriage you got to talk about. So I'm sitting there and all of a sudden, <laughs> out of nowhere, this like police dog golden or uh, a german shepherd comes oh. and just like jumps at me oh, like hello. on the pew in the church and i'm like what the hell is going on and then father jonathan dellinger comes walking down who's the pastor of the parish and he's like oh sorry she's very kind <laughs> unless i tell her to attack and i say the secret <laughs> word then she's gonna go right at your neck so he so this and is you're like what's the secret word and i was like don't, don't say the secret <laughs> word so he uh there's been some vandalism at the church oh, over no. the last few years, and so he's the new pastor, and he bought this dog to Dude, uh, guard dog, the guard dog for the parish. I was like, okay, I respect that. There's cornbread, cornbread, cornbread was the ultimate. You should have taught cornbread. I don't think she's a guard dog. <laughs> <laughs> she's more like, hey, give me a treat. Give me a treat. Unless I'll, maybe I'll just roll over and pet my stomach. Maybe Jim Fox has like a code word, and she, and then just she goes attacks. feisty. Yeah, she is a healer, so they nip. That is true. They like to nip, but I don't know. German shepherds are intimidating, dude. I oh don't think man, I, I couldn't. I couldn't believe it. I was just praying in the office, and it just all of a sudden this thing jumps onto the pew, and it's like, oh my god! <laughs> in the church. In the church. It's a service dog. It's a service dog. Exactly. So, all right. Well, I got this keep on. You want to talk Targumim? Let's talk Targumim. You know about Targums? Uh, very, very little about Targums. You know any Hebrew? Very, very little Hebrew. Give me some Hebrew words. Uh, dog is fish. <laughs> Good. That's all I know. <laughs> Amen. Hosanna. 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 No, the word I love, the word of the summer for me is Todah, which I have been you know, thinking about a little bit. Uh, Todah means Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. but also praise and confession. So it's all kind of one word. So it's all over the uh, 
And the Todah sacrifice in Leviticus chapter 7, sorry, I don't know, uh, is one of the, there's a lot of sacrifices, but um, this one is, and it, it repeats itself all over the Psalms. You see a, a Thanksgiving sacrifice or a sacrifice of praise. And it is uh, given specifically when your life is is redeemed or saved from like from death imminent danger imminent yeah. danger and Ooh. brian larkin told me i don't know if this is true you could fact check this but that the todah sacrifice at some point the eschatology mind of the of the second temple jewish person was saying um this is the only sacrifice that will remain oh yeah which, i do yeah which ties I in, that, that course, might be from a targum which ties into the Eucharist. So, okay, there we go. Well, let's just say it's from a Targum. So, have you ever had an, an uh, imminent death situation that you were from which you were saved, and then you gave a toda thanks? Not imminent death, but I do think that my conversion was uh, imminent. I mean, I was yeah definitely on, death on the, the road to perdition. Cross. Yeah, so I, I I love that. I think that's a really interesting thing in a way of thinking about the Eucharist in it. Yeah. And, but I'd love it if you could dig up that targum for me because I was doing some writing on it and I was just pulling this out of my, you know. We should check with Larkin. He might have like quick access to it or where he read. He's good at remembering. I sent him him an email today about that, but that'll be I eight once ten months. Was driving up to Evergreen for my deacon year, and I was driving this Hyundai Accent, and uh, it was a it's a hatchback, the lightest car you could ever. It's like a glorified go kart. <laughs> And it was snowing, and I spun around full 360 and almost went off of the kind of cliff. Oh, man. And so On the then, highway? Yeah, on the highway. So it's kind of like that one, you know, that goes up from the turnoff, and it kind of winds around up into right. Evergreen eventually. And um, so I got to the parish and was doing the intercessions, as a deacon does. And the last one I said... God, for all the times that you saved us from near death, we thank you, Lord. We pray to the Lord. And I had several parishioners come up afterward and were like, are you okay? Are you safe? Are you, are you in yeah, a good place? Yeah. Are you okay? Um, okay, so the Targums. Targums. Targums or Targumim yeah. are, um, let's see, transliterations into Aramaic of the Hebrew scriptures that were written probably 2nd century A.D. to 5th century A.D. Some of them are uh, Babylonian Targumim. So presumably the Jews who stayed in Babylon rather than went back to Jerusalem and reestablished that. So there was a big community that stayed and, um, and then just continued with the practice of Judaism. The Babylonians allowed that and the Persians did when they And they took spoke over. Aramaic. And they spoke Aramaic. In Babylon. Okay. And everyone was speaking Aramaic by then. Okay. You know, in well, in that area. So then, s- there's also Palestinian targums, and we're not sure exactly where they're from in um, in the Holy Land. But the the Jewish community there were also um, devising these targums. So the targums are transliteration of the oh, not transliteration. Sorry. Well, what is it? Yeah, it is a transliteration of the um, Hebrew into um, into Aramaic. But then there's all these little additions, tiny little additions that they'll put into the, the Hebrew text of uh, the Old Testament. There's also a Targum of the Prophets. And they're very interesting because you wonder why they would allow these little additions to be placed into the text. And I'll give you a couple examples. So what's the difference between transliteration and a translation? So transliteration is, well, okay. So I think it's a translation in this case. Transliteration is where you write the sounds and the words from one language into the other with a different script or, Mm. or language. Um, So it's basically just making the sounds readable in your own language. So, um, shoot, I can't even think of an example for, for us, but sometimes the biblical commentaries, if they want to provide for those who don't know Greek or don't know Hebrew, so they'll write the words in English with the sounds. Like in the like Greek Toda. New Testament, Rabboni. Yeah, like that can be one. Exactly. Yeah. Into yeah, but they'll spell it with Greek letters and... Um, kind of keep that word, but something like Toda, you know, when you read 
a uh, commentary, a theological work that refers to Todah, it's going to write it in English, mm-hmm. right? Even though it's a Hebrew word, gotcha. it comes from a text that has, you know, Hebrew. And sometimes you keep those technical words instead of translating them. So if Leviticus 7, let's say, um, whatever, um, is talking about the sacrifice, it might choose to talk about the Todah sacrifice, or it might say the sacrifice of thanksgiving in your translation that you're reading, right? Okay, so the Targums, they re- they're basically readable for a Hebrew reader, but they try to preserve as much of the original language as they can while they're translating it over to Aramaic. So that's kind of technical. The interesting thing is these uh, additions, these little accretions that are plugged into the text. Um, the, are they like glossed on the side or are they like right in yeah, the text? Yeah, they just put them right in the text. Wow, interesting. Yeah, and it's, yeah, you, you have to... I, you have to know the Aramaic well enough and then compare it with the Hebrew text. And then you see there's, you know, sometimes it's just one word. Sometimes it's just a little nuance. Sometimes it's whole like sections that are added. And um, so I've been looking at Genesis 32 where uh, Jacob wrestles with the, the angel or with God or with a, some, some divine thing that looks like a man. Um, and it's for, this this book that I'm working on, and the sort of foundation of setting out into the religious life, or um, you have a curiosity about God, you want to know about religion. Religion starts with these two big movements, I think. The one is Genesis 12, where God tells Abraham, go forth to the land that I will show you. Lech lecha. Lech lecha. Remember the yeah. lech lecha. Yeah. Those first words of God. And it's just um, this invitation to live by faith or to kind of follow with a sense of there's something beyond I kind of admit that changes life. Right. And then you're walking uh, um, the road of faith quickly. You're going to run into all these stumbling blocks. And one of those is um, kind of elaborated or introduced with the story of Jacob and his brother Esau. And then his name is changed in uh, chapter 32 from Jacob to Israel, Israel, which means hmm. wrestles with God. Oh, there you go. Wrestles with God. So part of the, the fundamental um, experience of religion and of the walk of faith is this uncertainty that you're always dealing with. And, well, wrestling with God. It's like a religious person isn't supposed to be like, God is perfect all the time and making me happy and everything that I ever wanted. It's supposed to be like, this can be confusing. This can be difficult. This is demanding of me in certain ways that I find uh, troubling. I mean, it it, uh, it asks something of me that in the end has me wrestling with this hmm. um, concept. Sometimes we're angry with God. Sometimes we're sad. Sometimes we're confused. Um, sometimes we're elated some, and triumphant. Sometimes we feel like the support of God. Other times the abandonment, all these things. You know, the life of faith is in some way, wrestling with God. And that's the, it's the basis in some way of Israel's religion that um, this is wonderful about Jews that they're like very honest. There's prayers that are angry at God and they're perfectly willing to make prayers of why are you doing this? What are you doing? You know, explain yourself to God. And I don't think a lot of people pray that way necessarily. You know, is that your standard? I think you can, I mean, if you've been walking it for a while, yeah, I think it's uh, uh, like you said, especially in the Psalms, it uh, really reflects this kind of radical kind of vulnerability and affectivity of like you have the full gamut of human experience gets tied into prayer instead of just prayer being, you know, we say the right things to to God, whatever that even means, you know. Um, yeah. So it is refreshing. Yeah, but yeah, some of them are pretty pretty gnarly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, angry. You're, yeah. you're sort of processing your yeah. life. Yeah, we go through our ups and downs, and you got to bring God into all that. You know, it's not like I deal with the messy relationships in my life. I deal with the disappointment or the the real sadness of heartbreak or you know losing a child for the extreme case. You know, those theodicy questions. So we we wrestle with God now. 
the the story of Jacob um, at the Jabbok River um, has two kind of interpretations I don't want to present. But I'm going to read the text first. So pay attention to the details because the okay. Targum meme is going to give you a little shift. Okay. Okay. This is Genesis 32, 22 to 32. Okay. It says, okay, well, just to set the context, Jacob has been running from his brother Esau, who he presumes wants to kill him. And he, they had had a falling out, like serious falling out. He um, basically lied to their father and stole the birthright and um, all the stuff. And um, so he's been on the run. And he, but he's wanting to um, kind of offer gifts to his brother and um, and make up with Esau. So, um, yeah, okay. So the same night he arose and took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had. And Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched the hollow of his thigh, uh, yeah, of his thigh, and Jacob's thigh was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, "Let me go, for the day is breaking." But Jacob said, "I will not let you go unless you bless me." And he said to him, "What is your name?" And he said, "Jacob." Then he said, "Your name shall no shall no more be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have wrestled with God and with men, and you have prevailed." Then Jacob asked him. Tell me, I pray, your name. And he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is upon the hollow of the thigh, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh on the sinew of the hip. I'm going to read a little bit more from 33 now. Okay. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and four hundred men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. And he put the maids with their children in front, then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph. Last of all, he himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times, until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to, to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Okay, so there's this great reunion between Jacob and Esau, and you can hear the echo in um, the prodigal son story. He ran to him, embraced him, and kissed him, mm. forgiving him without, you know, even before he asks for it. And um, so there's this wonderful um, kind of reunion scene that is um, framing the story of Jacob wrestling with um, wrestling with God or wrestling with this angelic figure. Um, so one of the interpretations is that he's he's wrestling with God in a way that he's um, kind of being purified from his own brokenness and from his anger and from his um, sadness over the relationship with his brother. And then this bringing it to God and kind of winning and losing, you know, but kind of yeah, this some weird prayer experience overnight. Is it a dream? Is it real? Um, allows him to come and um, face his brother and um, accept this um, this experience of reconciliation and and forgiveness. So it's really the victory of God and not just like the the goodness of the brother so much. Does that make sense? Yeah, interesting. Okay. So it's a man. How do we know it's God? Well, he says, um, he names the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and yet I have survived. You know, let, yet my life is preserved. And when he asks for his name, he says, you can't have my name. It's a classic God response. Right? Yeah. Or divine response. And that's been, yeah, that's been kind of interpreted in lots of different ways. Here's the Targums interpretation All right. and it gets into this question of you know who who is this character so the targum at least pseudo jonathan targum pseudo jonathan has the angel named and it names the angel as michael oh. yeah it says uh, the angel michael you know met him and wrestled with him so it adds the name michael to um this this angel who looks like a man and then 
it goes on. It, it slightly changes thing in in this the, the Old Testament story. Jacob wins the wrestling match with with God, but this one's going to tame it and say like, "Well, how are you supposed to win a wrestling match with Michael the Michael Archangel?" The Archangel you know. Yeah. So, um, the the phrase in the Targum is "Thy thy name shall no more be called Jacob, but Israel, because you are magnified with the angels of the Lord, and with the mighty, and you have prevailed with them." So it's, it's, it's that you've li- been lifted up into this kind of glorious place of experience with the heavenly realm and magnified with them rather than triumphed over anything godly. You know, you've been sanctified in a way, you know, and this experience. And, and it's not real clear, well, it's not clear at all, whether the Targum is, feels uncomfortable about anthropomorphizing God and the idea of conquering somehow. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So this is AD, the second to fifth century AD, you said. That's right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So is this, is there any precedent in the Hebrew Bible or it's just, this is also transliteration, but also interpretation of like, this is kind of how we've understood this in our context, whoever pseudo Jonathan is, you know, like. yeah, they're very mysterious that way. And they're obviously Jewish texts written in Jewish context. And, uh, so there's lots of intriguing kind of speculation about this in the scholarship of, are they a marginal group? Does this represent general ideas of Judaism? And then there's, you know, frequent interest in comparing this with other rabbinic literature, like the, um, the Mishnah and uh, the Talmud, those are more often than not commentary on laws. Okay. So they don't have as much like narrative interest. And um, so it's hard to, to know, like, is this like kind of theology, like more general Yeah. and interpretation and these ideas and everything. Okay. The other piece is that the Michael doesn't really wrestle with, with uh, Jacob in the story. But when it says that he contends with him, the Hebrew text says that he wrestles with him. It's pretty clear in the Hebrew. But in the Targum, it says that he um, confronts Jacob and Michael says, well, you have all of these sons and you've never given a tithe to the Lord. You've, um, you are meant to tithe one of these 10 sons that you have. You have 10 sons and one daughter, it says, and then you got to, you got to tithe that son. So of course, in accord with the rest of the, you know, um, Pentateuch, the, the, uh, the tradition of the Torah, it's Levi that is the, the tithe to God, you know, um, all of the rest of the tribes receive land, but Levi is told, um, your inheritance is the Lord. And he's the first priest and the founder of the, um, the religion really, of, uh, of Israel. So they'd been walking their sacrifices and everything, but of course, when Moses goes on the mountain, he is given all of this religion and all the feasts and the laws and the, and the sacrifices, like the Todah, and they're entrusted to Aaron, the Levite, and to his children. So there's something plugged in here of the foundation of religion itself. And, and then there's this kind of beautiful and intriguing um, moment where the says that the, the man stayed until, what does the Hebrew text say? Um, or the Old Testament. It says that he stayed until daybreak. And the Targum's going to add um, a bunch of information about why he stays until daybreak. Oh, no, but I have to find it. Say something. I'll say something. So <laughs> the... Uh, I guess the, the interesting thing is that, well, I have I have two questions for you. One is, doesn't Israel have 12 sons? He does. I can't remember if at this point he, only he has hasn't 10. had those last two. Okay, the last two. two. But, um, but Levi, the notion that Levi is consecrated or kind of given over is, this is later. This is either later in Genesis or Exodus. Um, it's not in Genesis 32 is what you're saying. 
it's only in the Targum that it, it specifies you need to yeah, give this. It's kind of backtracking. Interesting. Okay. With that information that I think comes out in Exodus. Okay. You know, this, the, with the, no, 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 no. That's at the end of Genesis with the allotment of the land. Okay. And, um, and so, yeah, this is kind of pushing things back, but it's giving an etiology of the religion of this is where um, Levi was set aside and it's kind of at the heart of religion, this founding moment. Okay, so here's something that Michael says about the, about the, uh, the daybreak, the morning. And he said, let me go for the column. This is the pseudo-Jonathan Targum. And he said, let me go for the column of the morning ascendeth. And the hour cometh when the angels on high offer praise to the Lord. So this is all added, right? Yeah. When the angels on high offer praise to the Lord of the world. And I am one of the angels of praise. But from the day that the world was created, my time to praise hath not come until now. And he said, I will not let thee go until thou bless me. Okay. So he adds this thing about Michael has been stuck at the riverside since the beginning of creation. And he's been waiting for this moment. And at this moment, presumably, I think, because I can't read anything else in there, because Levi has now been dedicated to the Lord and the religion of Israel presumably is uh, founded, the, uh, the angel Michael has achieved his mission. You know, he was there waiting to contend you know, providentially, this was destiny, to meet Jacob at the riverside and contend and um, get him to um, start the you know start the religion for yeah so to to tithe levi and uh, to kick it all off so one thing i think that is just interesting i don't think it's necessarily um a kind of necessary conclusion this is very loose theory but he he says he's an angel of praise and he hasn't been able to go up to heaven and praise um until this until this moment and i think there's a link here between the experience of reconciliation at the heart of religion, that at the, even from the be- very beginning, this foundation, this tithing of Levi and the beginning comes at this turning point of reconciliation with Jacob and Esau. And like the other interpretation that doesn't have all the Michael and angels ascending and, um, and consecrate Levi, the... There is, you know, still this, it's still pregnant with this idea that um, the joining of the reconnecting, the reconciliation of these two brothers is a great cause. It's, it's like what God had been planning and what, you know, Michael had been waiting there for. And he can ascend into heaven because the religion has begun, but also ascend into heaven because the religion has begun with this character. That is a character of reconciliation, of um, yeah, bridging the gap not only between heaven and earth, but between people. And you get a similar comment in Luke 15, in the prodigal son, where Jesus says, um, the, the angels of heaven rejoice over one repentant sinner more than any, um, than for whatever, all those who are unrepentant, right? And I've always loved that image. I, th- I bring that into the confessional sometimes in my own heart where when somebody makes their confession and when they're reconciled with God and reconciled with other people to the church, to the community, through the power of the sacrament of confession, that the angels in heaven are rejoicing, that this is really at the heart of Christian religion, you know, the, the reconciliation of man with God and God or, and man with man. And, um, and just that image of this is a cause of great joy in heaven. I don't know if Luke or Jesus is connecting these two. I certainly don't think that they're aware of the Targums, but I, I think it's a beautiful kind of realization that religion it, at, its, at its base, wrestling with God, allows us to um, find reconciliation among each other and find the healing. Of course, like Christianity is based on the cross, right? right? It's about the wrestling in the garden and then, and then Jesus um, going to the cross and forgiving, you know, um, reconciling God to man and us to each other. Um, but that was there from the start. And I think it's, it's beautiful to see signs of that, even in 
kind of this disparate literature. Two things come to mind. The first is um, the interplay between the reconciliation of the brothers Jacob Esau as kind of a completion and, and a new kind of fulfillment from the original sin, which happened between a man mm. and a woman. But right after that, the the second sin is the brothers killing, the brothers killing each other. So just kind of east fratricide, of east of Eden, getting kind of tied into all this. And so some kind of like the the healing of the actual human story is happening and then the foundation of as you said this kind of religious moment uh in the reconciliation itself and then the second thing that i think is is really kind of intriguing is you know you you think about um the worship of the angels uh as this kind of pure celestial realm you think of like pseudo dionysius is a is a church father sixth century syrian mystic who's uh who just has this beautiful vision but it kind of feels like they're just kind of blissed out up there, just mm-hmm. kind of doing their thing. And everything's just kind of great, and we're just a mess down here, kind of, you know. Yeah. Um, but that it's intimately involved, that human agency is actually really does affect the angelic choirs. And not to say that they're not praising God, uh, but but how angels are missioned into and, and part of the, the whole drama of salvation history and how that is involved in it. So Yeah. My question for you is... Wait, uh, let me just riff on that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, go. Um, Just to say, this idea that they've changed it from you have wrestled with God to you have been magnified and exalted Hmm. um, with the angels and and among men. It's almost like that blending of the story. You know, our stories are intimately bound, the angels and the human beings, and that there are these moments where we've kind of stepped into the divine providence or plan, and are interacting with that like grand you know spiritual story yeah it's very imminent and then i think about the the word magnified in particular i think about mary and how mary is the kind of the completion and the fulfillment of the faith of abraham and and of israel and that it is she is the one who magnifies the lord so it's that that kind of graced experience with the angel gabriel that then kind of comes full circle and allows her to actually express something that's happening within her so it's it's kind of part of the intrinsic logic of the jewish religion that we see in this is kind of full form with mary this might be a tangential question but is michael ever on the scene before this or is this like a really unique thing for the targum to kind of throw him into genesis i need to look into that i'd love to write an article on michael and the targums yeah yeah i don't know i don't know that yet i mean I think there are some like characters that get plugged into this these different places, but it would be intriguing. I'm I'm looking forward to like looking into. Yeah. Do they name the presence that's speaking at the burning bush or these other kind of theophanies that in the Hebrew scriptures are always a little bit ambiguous? You know, is this God speaking? Is this someone speaking on behalf of God? For Christians, is this Jesus speaking at the burning bush or to Elijah? all these kind of mysterious um, who's hiding behind the shadows in the, um, or behind the clouds in the Old Testament. And Michael's namesake is the Hebrew etymology. Oh, um, who is like God. Who is like God. Yeah, who is like God. So this kind of connection between likeness, obviously going back to... Well, it's a question. It's a question, okay. Yeah, it has a whole story. Because the, the name is Shem, right? What is your Shem? Is what? that the Hebrew? No, it's Michael. No, no, no. I mean, when he says, tell me your name, oh. when Jacob says that. To, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the Shem. It's the Shem. It's the name of God. And you mentioned that earlier. This is a very kind of divine response of like not knowing the name of God, but then it is going to be revealed in Exodus, right? Yeah, kind of. Kind right? of. Yeah. I yeah, am I who I am. Who I am. Like, yeah. Don't ask. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then later he, he Sorry, does say, I have a cold. the Lord, the Lord, <laughs> merciful and gracious. Yeah. And so there's a little bit more there but that's right yeah you're not really supposed to know the name yeah um yeah so i'm i mean that's all i got for you today but it's i I think another fun question you can be asking yourself is when life presents all of these sort of conundrums and difficulties and things that are not worked out is there an angel waiting for you at the river ahead and who's been appointed for this task to help you to kind of overcome a difficulty that you've never been able to. 
you know, does God plan these things with uh, the help of the angelic? You know yeah, what I mean? I mean I, a, yeah. I mean, I think it's a, it's a beautiful image for the spiritual life in general because one of the temptations, I think, is to, to kind of relegate reconciling with family or with friends or whatever as kind of this like side project. And it's like, no, this is like actually very integral to God and to worship, like all of creation yeah. worshiping is that, and Jesus we know is going to reconcile everything to the Father. So there is the total reconciliation happens in Christ. But to see that as a primary way of wrestling with God in prayer, I mean, it's very instructive and very interesting I've never thought about it in light of kind of its spiritual meaning for prayer, actually. Mm. Uh, and the Targum is, yeah, that's that's really interesting. So, Yeah, I, you can tell that I'm still kind of <laughs> working out the the logic of it all. Yeah. But I, have, I thought I had enough to, to kind of present a case. So. Well, you definitely do. I mean, yeah, we've been going for 50 minutes, so. There we go. Um, yeah, I think, uh, so the the... Your writing is specifically on this, or is this one of the larger book projects? This is a little kinda... part of a chapter. Okay. I don't think it'll get to into the Targums, but yeah. it's more about just like obstacles that you're going to face along um, the road of religion. Would you recommend Targum studies for people, and how do they access that? Like if there's people that listen to this and like, oh, that's really interesting. I've never thought about that. Yeah, you can just Google Targum um, in English or... Targum Jonathan, Targum Uncleus, Uncleus, Targum Pseudo Jonathan. Yeah, and there's English translations. You can just set those right beside your English translation of your Bible, and you can see. You don't have to know Aramaic for that. Okay. I mean, if you want to get real technical, like my kind of world, then it's it can be helpful for high scholarship. But anybody can you know study those with interest. The hard part is like knowing like the relevance for these things. You know, it's not Christian literature. Most Jews, like rabbinic Judaism, kind of, it was like a weird wave of um, pickleball, and <laughs> then it kind of came and went, uh-huh. and no one sort of elaborated on the Targums. It's not like a part of Jewish tradition normally. But the priesthood is gone, and the temple is gone by the time the Targums are written. Is this, am I getting this right? That's right. Okay. Yeah, that's right. There's a, a curious... Um, attention toward the priesthood in Targum Pseudo Jonathan that I had looked into for a little while, but uh, I forget most of the details. And the um, but you wonder like why is the priesthood still relevant centuries after you know the fall of the temple and the the other rabbinic literature has already been established and um, is floating around everywhere and is more influential. So it's very like intriguing kind of area the the place that it's had the most um influence is with the akeda with um abraham's sacrifice of of um isaac because there's the location there's a lot of details that are added that sound super christian Hmm. and i I guess i should do an episode on that stuff yeah interesting but that's been you know kind of published into a lot of the popular interest on the um on Jesus and the sacrifice and of faith and the father giving up the son. But I'd have to, yeah, I'd have to look into the details. Targum is singular. Targumim is plural. Plural. Yeah. yeah. Or and targums. there are how many like? They have, um, well, the, the major are like four. Okay. And then there's Targums for the Psalms and, and some other bits that we found. Um, but they're not all complete. Like you, there's pieces of scrolls or stuff like that. Nice. There you go. Thanks, man. A little, little Jewish lesson today. A little Jewish lesson. This is good. Yeah, this is interesting. It is. Uh, it's late tonight, and I really appreciate you staying up. Uh, oh, you got I had it, man. To, I'd eat my orange chicken before we uh, the podcast tonight. So. I had my sleepy time too. I'm getting a little sleepy time. Yeah, exactly. Well, good. Well, yeah, we're rolling into the fall here, and uh, it's good to see you kicking on the working on the book, and you got a little reprieve. No uh, Greek this year, so yeah. Helping you Just to... a little extra time. Yeah. I'm going to ride bikes with uh, Sean Khan tomorrow. Oh, you Finally are. doing my century ride. And Carrie Floyd. Pray for me. Yeah. Shout out to Carrie Floyd. Birthday tomorrow. That's right. Right? Hopefully yeah. the weather's good. Big ride. Oh, that's right. Father Sean and I are supposed to climb Mount Holy Cross on Thursday. I'm going. You're going? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's supposed to snow like the next four days. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's an adventure. <laughs> so this might be the last podcast. Then it'll just be Jake Machado, you know, yeah, he, if he anything can, goes he can bad. Carry it. CJ's upstairs. He could jump in. CJ could jump in for sure. So well, I want to shout out Matt Cook. Matt Cook was in town. All right. He's what a, he's like my best friend from high school and a real rascal. He is. But he's engaged to be married, going to do their wedding in uh, November. And it was a lot of fun getting together with the old high school guys, uh, Dan Seleski and Mark Archer and their their wives and, um, and families. And... Um, just yucking it up, living living the dream, and um, reminiscing a lot. Matt Cook is bothering me every time I see him about being on the podcast. But Matt Cook has nothing Catholic stuff you should say. You know, he's just uh, he's a lawyer. I'm sure he's a great lawyer. But I ask him, well, what would you talk about? He just wants to be on. And he's like, he's like, well, we'll just talk about whatever. You know, like the old days. And I'm like, well, so this isn't funny. high school chat. This is. A Catholic information show, at least somewhat. That would be uh, very entertaining. He's I'd, an entertaining fellow. I'd like. I've only met him one time. I think it was at your ordination. But I would like to. Um, and he's a practicing Catholic. Yeah. I, I just need him to brainstorm about what he would want to talk about. Oh man, I got Cook. Love you, man. Looking forward to your wedding. I got a. Speaking of people who want to be on the podcast, um, I got an email from Megan Nix. Oh yeah. You know, she Megan wrote Nix? a book. Yeah. She wrote a book. I Rem- thought I ordered it on pre-order. Is yeah. it not out yet? It's I, out. It's I, out. I, I haven't gotten it. I don't yep. know what happened. It's um, So Father Dave Nix is a classmate of uh, Father Mike's and a friend of ours. And uh, this is his sister who married Luke Weedle. Weedle, mm-hmm. the Regis guy. And she wrote a book, um, really, Shout be- out Luke. really beautiful. Um, I have not started it yet, but she wants to be on the podcast. I said, okay, maybe that's something we could look at in the yeah, spring. Yeah. Um, but I want to give her a shout out. Remedies for Sorrow, An Extraordinary Child, A Secret Kept from a Pregnant Woman, and A Mother's Pursuit of the Truth. And it's basically a memoir of her story. I'm just reading kind of the, um, her, her second daughter Anna is born, very small, profoundly deaf. Megan and her husband Luke, Luke learned that Anna had lifelong delays due to an infection from a, a, um, a virus that no one ever heard of. I can't even pronounce this. Cytomegalo. Lovirus. Perfect. CMV, <laughs> which Megan uh, un, uh, also contracted during her pregnancy. And it's the story of uh, kind of how this was kept from her and uh, her struggle to uh, discover it. And she's a great Catholic woman and um, just a really beautiful, interesting writer. So Yeah, she was a journalist for the longest time. I remember reading some of her stuff. Yeah, she's a great writer. She got ordained. Um, took her seven years, she said, to write it, um, but uh, definitely worth checking out. So if that's give me the title too, again, "Remedies for Sorrow." Okay. So, Megan Nix, thanks for your work, and uh, yeah, look, I look forward to reading it, and maybe we will have her and uh, Matt Cook on the podcast someday. That'd be a <laughs> wild pairing. <laughs> Not together. Not together. All, All right. right. God bless you, everybody. Thanks, everybody. God bless.